if you could ask God for anything, what would it be? Somebody might ask God for eternal salvation. Someone else may ask for the forgiveness of a sin that so easily entangles. Someone may ask for the miraculous healing of a marriage. Still someone else may ask God for the cure for cancer. Someone might ask God for the recipe for the removal of world hunger. Someone else may ask for wisdom as to how to handle a difficult situation. Somebody might ask God for a million dollars a day every day for the rest of his life. Somebody might ask God for at least a 30 on the ACT. Somebody might ask God for the safe arrival of their firstborn child. Someone else may ask God for the safe return of their prodigal child. If you could ask God for anything, what would it be? Today, Moses makes an audacious request of God. What does he ask, you wonder? The answer just might astound you. It's with that in mind, I invite you to take a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 33, verses 12 to 23. Once you find your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. Today I'll be reading Exodus chapter 33. I'll begin at verse 12, conclude at verse 23. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I'll proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face. For no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock when my glory passes by, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I'll remove my hand and you'll see my back, but my face must not be seen. This is the word of the Lord and thanks be to God. You may be seated. There are some passages in the Bible that are draped with so much mystery, shrouded with so much profundity. 
that regardless of the number of times you read the story, you marvel at the majesty of God every time you read it as if it was the first time you read the sacred script. Such is the story before us today. This is a story that has profound, tremendous mystery. It's strategically placed right on the heels of the sacred cow catastrophe. You may recall that in Exodus chapter 32, the Israelites grew frustrated and fatigued because their leader Moses had had a 40-day summit meeting with God on Mount Sinai. They wanted a leader they could see and touch. They wanted a God they could see and touch. So they wanted to promote Aaron. They promoted him and they said to Aaron, now make us a God that we can see. Make us a God that we can touch. So Aaron said, bring me your gold earrings. He took their jewelry and placed it in the fiery furnace. And there he fashioned a golden calf. When he saw how much this pleased the Israelites, he said, tomorrow we're going to have a sacred worship service for this sacred cow. And the next day they got up and they had a worship service. They sat down and they ate and drank. And then they rose up in promiscuous revelry. When God and Moses heard the promiscuous singing, when they saw the vulgar dancing, righteous indignation welled up inside of both of them. By the time Moses made his way down the mountain, he was so furious that he took those two tablets of stone, the two tablets that God had engraved with his very finger, the Ten Commandments. He took those two stone tablets, threw them on the ground, shattering them into pieces. He ran up to Aaron and he said, what did these people do to you so that you would lead them in such a great sin? He said, brother, I'm as shocked as you are. I cannot believe this. I was surprised when they came to me with a promotion. And when they wanted a God, I said, you know, give me your gold earrings. And, and I'm shocked these Israelites actually gave me their gold. I threw it into the fiery furnace and <laughs> out came this calf. I'm as shocked as you are. And Moses said to his brother, you're an idiot. He went up to the Levites and he said, strap a sword to your side. Go among the nation and preach the gospel. Anyone who repents, they'll be reconciled to God. But anybody who refuses to repent, slay them with a sword. And on that day, 3,000 Israelites died. It didn't take very long for them to realize the great sin they had committed. They went to Moses and they said, please, will you go back to God on Mount Sinai and ask for forgiveness? And so the next day, Moses went back up Mount Sinai. And he pleaded for forgiveness on behalf of the people. When you come to Exodus chapter 33, verse 1, the Lord says to Moses, Now go and lead these people to the land that I promised your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'll go before you and evict uh, those nations that are taking up residence in the promised land. They think they have squatters' rights, but I have not given them this land. It doesn't belong to them. I'll go before you. I'll evict them. I'll kick them out. But Moses, I will not travel with the Israelites. They are a stiff-necked people. If I travel with you, I'll destroy them. 
When the Israelites heard this, that God was not going to go up with them, God was not going to accompany them into the promised land, they grieved and they mourned. Moses set up a tabernacle that was commonly called the tent of meeting. And there at the foot of the mountain, uh, Moses would go in and he would meet with God in the tent of meeting. Whenever God showed up, there was a great cloud that would envelop that uh, tabernacle. And when Moses went in there, he would speak to God. And as he came out, the Shekinah glory would be all over his face. And the man of God would give the word of God to the people of God. When you come to Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, it says that the Lord spoke with Moses face to face like a man speaks with his friend. In verse 12, which is the beginning of our passage, we eavesdrop on one of those transparent, vulnerable, holy conversations. Moses is the one doing the talking. Moses does most of the talking. Moses uh, goes to God and he says, you've been telling me to lead these people, but you have not told me who will go with us. Now, you tell me that you're pleased with me. You say that I've found favor with you. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you. And continue to find favor with you. Remember, these are your people. This is your nation. And the Lord said to Moses, my presence will go with you. I'll give you rest. And Moses said, well, that's good. Because if your abiding, guiding presence does not go with us, then don't send us up from here. We're not going to go. Because this is the distinguishing mark of who we are as God's people. For you're the only God who's made the claim that you will accompany your people. No other pagan god or goddess has made that claim that he or she will go with their people. But you're the only God who has declared you will live and dwell among your people. This is the distinguishing mark of who we are as the people of God. If you don't go, we don't go. I'm sure that God kind of chuckled a bit. He said, Moses, I appreciate the passion. I will do as you have asked because I do know you by name and I am pleased with you. Moses is feeling pretty confident. He thinks to himself, wow, God's going to go with us. God is, is listening to me. God is giving me what I desire. Now's the time for me to ask a huge request. So in verse 18, now show me your glory. Moses makes an audacious request. What he's asking is for God to remove the mystery. He wants to see God in his raw radiance. He wants to behold God in his sheer splendor. Now show me your glory. I, I, want, to, I want to see you. I want to behold you. I want more of you. I want you to show me your glory. Now Moses is saying something that surely Moses understands that no one can see God and live. God is holy, we are not. God is perfect, we are imperfect. God is righteous, we are unrighteous. We cannot stand in the presence of God, not one nanosecond in our own filthy uh, uh, rags, in our own flesh. There's no way that we can stand before the Lord and withstand his sheer radiant glory. Everybody knows. You can't see God and live now, even now, some of you are thinking to yourself, but wait a minute, pastor. 
There have been some people who have traipsed through the pages of Holy Scripture. They've seen God and they've lived. You may be thinking about Jacob. For in Genesis chapter 32, Jacob wrestled with God. If you're going to wrestle with God, you surely have to see God, right? I mean, this is a WWE smackdown, right? When the holy God comes down and he wrestles with Jacob, he touches his hip socket so that Jacob walks with a limp all of his days. But if you look closer at that passage, really, it could be understood that a messenger or an angel of God came down and wrestled with Jacob. Now, it was a representative of the Lord, and the Lord said, I will change your name from Jacob, which means trickster, to Israel, which means one who wrestles with God. But I want you to know that, that in this moment, Jacob did not wrestle with the sheer radiance of God. He did not wrestle with the all power of God Almighty. There's no way that Jacob could have withstood that. You may think, okay, well, maybe not Jacob. What about Isaiah? You remember when Isaiah was called? Isaiah chapter 6. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted and the train of his robe filled the temple. The doorpost, the threshold shook. I said, woe is me. I am undone. I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. What about Isaiah? Isaiah saw God, right? And he lived. But once again, if you take a closer look at that passage, even Isaiah says, this is a vision of God. Albeit it is ultra 4K high definition vision of God, but still it's a vision of God. It's not that he saw him in his raw radiance and his, his spectacular splendor. He saw a vision of God. You say, okay, well, but what about Moses? You just said a few minutes ago, Pastor, that Moses saw God and talked to him face to face as a friend speaks with a friend. And certainly that's true. But even at that, what Moses is asking for in verse 18 is far deeper and much more profound than even speaking to God face to face. Because remember that as he went into that tabernacle, there was a buffer. It was a cloud. The cloud would come down and it would envelop that tabernacle. So even that provided some shelter and shade. And even with all of that, he was still radiant when he came out of that meeting. He could not absorb and withstand the holy splendor of God. Everybody knows you can't see God and live. Even Indiana Jones knows this. You remember that great, infamous movie, 1981, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark? You get to the end of that movie, and Indiana Jones and his friends are captured by those German Nazis. They're bound to the post, and as they get there, the German Nazis, in arrogance, they uh, remove the seal, and they lift up the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. And what does Indiana Jones say? He says to his friends, shield your eyes, don't look. And he and his friends do not look as the glory of God is being revealed. But those arrogant Nazis, what do they do? They gaze to their own gory demise. Now listen, I don't know if Indiana Jones is a good theologian. <laughs> but I do know that that famous archaeologist understood that nobody can see God and live. Yet Moses comes 
in verse 18, and he says, show me your glory. Why? Why does he ask this? I think the answer is given to us in verse 13 of our passage. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor in your sight. He says, I want to see your glory because I want to know you. The Hebrew word for know is yada. He's saying, I want to yada you. Now, what you need to understand about this word yada is that this is a word that communicates far more than just statistical information. He's not saying, I just want to know more facts about you. He is saying, I want to know you personally. I want to know you deeply. I want to know you more intimately. I want to yada you. I want to know you at the most vulnerable level. I want to know you in the most intimate way. I want to know everything about you, oh God. I want to know you. This was a driving force for Moses. He lived his life with the desire to know God better. Once again, not just more facts about God, not just statistical information, but he wanted to know relational information about God. He didn't just want to stuff his mind with facts. He wanted to be transformed by the power of God. I want to know you. This is the same type of knowledge that Job had in mind. When Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives and he will stand on that last day. It's the same type of knowledge that the psalmist quotes from the lips of God in Psalm 46.10 when the Lord says, be still and know that I am God. It's the same kind of knowledge that the blind man had in John chapter 9. When he was being interrogated by the Pharisees, he said, listen, This much I know. I was blind and this man touched me and now I can see. This is what Jesus had in mind when he prayed that high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, I want them to know eternal life. This is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is the knowledge that the Apostle Paul has in mind in the Philippian correspondence when he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings. And I want to be like him in death and to attain unto his resurrection. This is just like what Paul says to his son of the ministry, Timothy. I know whom I have believed in and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Moses is saying, I want to yada you. I want to know you. Show me your glory so that I may know you better. This is a driving force in his life. This is one of the reasons why Moses needs to be one of our biblical heroes. We look up to him because this is the greatest characteristic of Moses. He wants to know God better. He wants to know God more Deeply, he wants to know God. And this drives everything that he does. Therein lies one of the greatest indictments against the church of the 21st century. Because for many of us, we think we know enough about God. 
we know who God is. We know how he acts and reacts. We know what he expects. We build theological boxes. We put God in those boxes and we take those religious theological boxes and place them on the shelves of our lives. And whenever we need them, we reach out for them. But when life is going well and we're handling things okay, we just leave God in the box. But when life gets crazy and turned upside down, then we reach for that box in the hopes that it will help. But otherwise, we, we know about God. We stuff our minds with the things of God, the knowledge of God. We do Bible studies. We do small groups. We have training for the latest, hottest ecclesiastical trends. We, we, we know uh, what to do and what to expect. We have figured God out. The problem is that somewhere along the way, we lost our unquenchable appetite for God. Somewhere along the way, we've lost our unquenchable appetite for God. I remember as a boy, the church used to sing that song, more about Jesus would I know, more of his grace to others show, more of his saving fullness, see, more of his love that died for me. More, more about Jesus. More, more about Jesus. More of his saving fullness. See, more of his love that died for me. They sang that with gusto. I actually believed what those individuals were singing because they were saying, we want more. Not satisfied with the status quo. Not satisfied with the knowledge I have. Not satisfied with the experiences that I've, I've had with the Lord. I want to know him better. This is Moses. Lord, I want to know you better. Now, don't misunderstand me. We haven't lost all of our appetites. We've just lost our unquenchable appetite for God. Oh, no, we still have appetites. For we want more hours in the day. We want more money in our bank account. We want more food on the table. We want more shoes in the closet. We want more excitement in the bedroom. We want more grandchildren to love. We want more diversity in our financial portfolio. We want more trucks and cars parked in our driveway. We want more stuff. But do we want more Savior? It's not that we've lost all of our appetites. No, we crave a lot of things. But what's the driving force of your life? Do you crave Christ? Do you long for the Lord? Keep in mind who is asking this. It's Moses. What Moses is saying is, you know what? My previous experiences, God, are not enough. It's not enough that Moses heard God's voice through a burning bush that was on fire but not being consumed. He's saying, it's not enough that I was an eyewitness to the 10 plagues that you sent against Egypt. Not enough that I was part of that glorious emancipation when you liberated nearly 2 million individuals from their Egyptian bondage and captivity. Not enough that I watched how God, you split the Red Sea so they could cross on dry ground. Not enough 
that I am the one who goes up on Mount Sinai and speaks with you and watches you engrave on tablets of stone your 10 words, your 10 commandments. Not enough that I'm the one who goes in and speaks to you face to face as a man speaks with a friend. That's not enough. I want more of you. You've wet my appetite. I've got to have more of you. It's unquenchable. It's unsatiable. I've got to have more of you in my life. Is that you? Is that you, my friend? Where you say, I've got to have more of God, or, or have you said, I've had enough? I, I like God in his theological box, and I like to be able to put him on the shelf and reach for him only when I need him. But Moses is saying, I want to see your glory because I want to know you better. So remove your raw radiance. Show your spectacular splendor. Show me your glory. In verse 19, God says, I will pass by in all my goodness. I will preach my name, Yahweh, the Lord. In other words, the preacher's gonna preach. Can you imagine hearing that sermon? God preaching about God. Can you imagine what that's like? God says, listen, I'll pass in front. I, all my goodness will go before me and I will be preaching the entire way. And what am I gonna be preaching about? I'm gonna preach about me, God says. God is gonna preach about God. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. But you, you cannot see my face and live. I'll tell you what, Moses, there is a rock nearby. And when I pass by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. I will cover you there with my hand. I'll pass by. Now, the reason I got to cover you, Moses, is because you are nosy and you may try to sneak a peek. And you can't sneak a peek and live. So I'm going to cover you up. I'm going to pass by. And when I get a safe distance away, I'll remove my hand and you can see my back. But my face, you cannot see. So much mystery. As I read this passage, I wonder, what did Moses see? What did he get to see? I know what the text says. You've read it. I've read it. He saw the back of God. What does that mean? He saw the back of God. What is that? This is a question that Douglas Stewart asked in his commentary on the book of Exodus. What does it mean to say that God revealed his back to Moses? What does it mean that Moses saw the back of God? It has to mean at least this. Moses did not get to see all that Moses wanted to see. Moses did not get to see all that Moses wanted to see. He could only see his back. He wanted to see his face. Couldn't see his face. Only could see his back. And Douglas Stewart says, to say that Moses saw the back of God is to say that Moses did not see much of God. He only saw his back from a distance. And yet, Douglas Stewart concludes that if you see somebody walking away from you in the distance, you can recognize them if you know them well enough. You can recognize them if you know them well enough. What God may be saying to Moses is, Moses, I want you to contemplate 
the sovereign stride of God. Just watch as I walk. For I've been walking through your life all the days of your life. Maybe what God is saying is that Moses, I want you to see my goodness in hindsight. For Soren Kierkegaard said that life is lived forward, only understood backwards. It's not until after we see the hindsight, not until after we see the experience, that then we fully understand it. Maybe what God is saying is, Moses, I just want you to contemplate how good I've been in your life all these years. Because certainly we must conclude that God had been good to Moses. Amen? I mean, Moses was born of a slave girl, and yet he was raised in the lap of luxury. He was raised in Pharaoh's house by Pharaoh's daughter. She took him out of the Nile River. For the first 40 years of his life, he was trained to be a somebody. He was to be the next Pharaoh of Egypt. He was going to be the king of Egypt, next in line. For the first 40 years, he was educated. He was trained to be a real somebody. God had been good to Moses. And then that one day came when Moses took matters into his own hands. He saw social injustice. He saw how an Egyptian taskmaster was brutally beating one of the Hebrew slaves. He looked this way and that, and then he struck the Egyptian so forcefully that it killed him. He buried the evidence in the sand the next day. Another Hebrew slave uh, took note of what happened on the previous day, and that caused Moses to run. For the next 40 years of his life, this somebody became a nobody, realizing I can never go back to Egypt, for I've got a murder rap on me. And for the next 40 years, Moses was a nobody. He was a shepherd of borrowed sheep in a Midianite desert. But God had been good to Moses. At the age of 80, it is God who spoke to Moses through a burning bush that's on fire but not being consumed. Moses, I'm not through with you. I need you to go down to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And now Moses is living the last 40 years of his life. And God is using him in a dramatic way, in a miraculous way. And God is showing Moses, the first 40 years you were a somebody, the second 40 years you were a nobody, but now these last 40 years, let me show you what I can do with a somebody who becomes a nobody. I can transform them back into a somebody again. God had been good to Moses. And maybe what God is saying is, Moses, you can only see my back because I want you to see my goodness in hindsight. I want you to see the stride of the sovereign grace of God. What said of Moses could be said of you, friend, right? God has been good to you. And sometimes you don't know just how good God is as you're living life forward. It's only as you reflect on life. It's only as you look back in hindsight that you see the goodness and the glory of God. And maybe what God is doing to Moses, he's doing to you right now. He's just reminding you, I have been good to you, the Lord says. And maybe, maybe that's what God is doing. But I think there's something else in this passage. I think God is teaching us something. I think he is teaching us how he reveals himself in our lives. Because God reveals himself at the intersection of how much we want of him and how much we can handle of him. I'm going to say that again because y'all didn't get that. See, God reveals himself at the intersection of how much we want of him and how much we can handle of him. Because we're Trinitarian, I'll say it a third time. God reveals himself at the intersection 
of how much we want of him and how much we can handle of him. That's how God reveals himself. Make no mistake about it. God revealed himself because Moses asked for it. It's simple yet profound. He revealed himself because Moses asked for it. Show me your glory. The case could be made that God never reveals himself to anyone who doesn't want him. God reveals himself at the intersection of how much we want of him and how much we can handle of him. See, Moses said, God, I I want to see you. I want to behold you. I want more of you. And God blessed. And God said, I'll show myself. I will show myself simply because you asked for it. Do you want God to show up in your life? Ask for it. Do you want God to show off in your life? Ask for it. Do you want to see a miracle in your life? Ask for it. Do you want God to do something that cannot be humanly explained? Ask for it. Do you want God to answer a prayer in your life? Uh, uh, Ask for it. Do you want God to move in a miraculous way? Ask for it. Oftentimes, we receive not because we ask not. This is called St. Augustine to say, God thirsts to be thirsted after. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Those who are going to be filled by God are those who hunger and thirst for God. In other words, they want more of him. God reveals himself at the intersection of how much we want of him and how much we can handle of him. The person is most responsible for your spiritual walk with God is the person that's seated between the person on your right and on your left. That's right, it's you. Do you want more of God? You can have it. You want God to show up? Just ask him. You want God to do a mighty work? Just ask him. And God will move because he reveals himself at the intersection of how much we want of him and how much we can handle of him. God said, Moses... You can't handle all of me right now. But because you asked for it, I'll give you what you can handle. You can't see my face, can't handle it. But you can handle seeing my back. So I'll reveal myself to the level that you can handle it. Friend, we tell God how much we want of him. He tells us how much we can handle of him. And at that intersection is a glorious exchange. At that intersection, God reveals himself. Now, it's true that God did not show Moses all that he asked for. Not then. Let me see your face. Let me see your glory. Remove your raw radiance, your spectacular splendor. And God says, you can't handle that. I'll give you what you can handle. Moses wanted to gaze, and all he got was a glimpse. How do you handle it when all God gives you is a glimpse? How do you handle that? You want a divine sentence, all he gives you is a phrase. You want a symphony, all he gives you is a few notes on a page. 
You want a turn-by-turn navigation of the next 20 years of your life, and all he shows you is the next step around the bend. How do you handle it? When you want a gaze and all you get is a glimpse. Here's my advice. Don't pout because you can't gaze. Just praise him because you got a glimpse. If all I can handle is a glimpse, then give me a glimpse. If God, if all I can handle of you is a little bit right now, then praise your holy name. Give me what I can handle because God, I want more of you. I want to see you. I want to know you better. And I want you to reveal yourself. And I know you're going to reveal yourself at the intersection of how much I want of you and how much I can handle of you. So God, please, if all I can handle is a glimpse, Give me a glimpse and let me praise your holy name. I wonder, did God answer the prayer of Moses? Did God answer his audacious request? 1,500 years later, in Luke chapter 9, we are told that Jesus and Peter, James, and John went up on a mountain and all of a sudden Jesus was transfigured. His clothes became as bright as bleach. His face became as radiant as a flash of lightning. That's what the scripture says, as a flash of lightning. What I think happened is that God in that moment lifted the thin veil of the humanity of Christ and allowed his raw radiance of glorious divinity to shine through. And in that moment of transfiguration, two people showed up on that mountain. Do you remember who they are? One is Elijah and the other, Moses. Elijah representing the prophets, Moses representing the law because Jesus is the fulfillment of both the law and the prophets. And in that moment, what were Elijah and Moses doing? They were staring at the very face, the raw radiance of God himself. They were seeing the the sheer splendor of God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were speaking about the upcoming Exodon, the great departure that was about to take place at, at Calvary in Jerusalem. Because in that moment, God said, Moses, now you're ready. Now you can handle your request of 1,500 years earlier. Now you can handle it. Friend, sometimes we pray a long time for what we want God to do, don't we? We pray a long time for the success of a marriage. We pray for the long time for a prodigal to come home. We pray a long time for God to do something. Don't stop praying. Don't stop asking because in God's perfect timing, he will reveal himself. When does he reveal himself? Where does he reveal himself? At the intersection of how much we want of him and how much we can handle of him. Because it's John who says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. In fact, in Jesus is the answer to the audacious request of Moses. And Moses got to see Christ and we get to see Christ. And in Christ, we find the sheer glory of God. Do you want more of God in your life? That's really a question you can answer out loud if you want to. Do you want more of God? Do you want more of God? 
Is this the driving force of your life? You can have as much of God as you want. You ask for it. And God will reveal himself at the intersection of how much we want of him and how much we can handle of him. Don't pout when God doesn't give you a gaze. You just praise him for the glimpse. Because I'm just glad today that God has set me on the rock. I'm glad today that God has placed you on the rock. The rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there we are sheltered in the cleft of the rock. And it is God who gets to dictate what we need and how much we can handle. And he gives us everything that we uh, desire and everything that he desires for us. So this morning, I've got to sit down. And before I sit down, I've just got to tell you that my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. And I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean on Jesus name on Christ the solid rock I stand all of the ground is sinking sand when darkness seems to hide his face I rest on his unchanging grace in every high and stormy gale my anchor holds within the veil on Christ the solid rock I stand all of the ground all of the ground all of the ground is sinking sand this morning do you want more of God you can have it this morning he will reveal himself at the intersection of how much you want of him and how much you can handle of him to God be the glory heavenly father we pray and give you this invitation and oh father I know that people are asking many things of you today and father I pray that you reveal yourself to us in proportion to how much we want of you and how much we can handle of you So, oh God, please, show up. Show us your power. Show us your might. Show us your glory. In this place we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.